Good afternoon, Brandon. Oh, hi. Hey. Steven. Hey. Steven, I can't believe it. You're here. I, I thought surely you'd be on some kind of holiday adventure. I am on time yeah. uh, at the agreed upon place. So I don't necessarily know if that's <laughs> yeah. cause for fanfare, but here we are. Listen, in this blighted year of 2022, yeah. anybody who can hit their marks, uh, is there's grounds for some kind of celebration at the very least. <clears throat> Certainly. I'm uh, going on a date Oh, in a few hours, a little matinee date. Very cute. Um, going to see a movie? Yes, indeed, a true matinee date. Laura and I are going to uh, see Avatar, Way of Water. The Way of Water. This time... They're in the ocean. <laughs> it's a big, That's... big, big, big deal movie. Maybe you've heard of it. It's kind of the movie most of America slash the world is talking about. And it's, you know, these these are the types of movies that always come out around Christmas. And then everybody makes the plan to go see the movie with their either friends from high school because they're home or their spouse or their family sure. during this dead week between Christmas and New Year's. And so... Yeah. It's a pop cultural pilgrimage. It certainly is. And I am dutifully playing my role as an American. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go see this movie. Great. You got to do your part. You got to help that movie stay above the $1 billion that it is made. If you don't go, somehow it might lose that money. It's now uh, has reached the billion dollar global box office point faster than any other movie this year, which admittedly isn't saying much. But then again, for James Cameron, the director... He's been working on this for 13 years. The first one came out 2009, so give or take. Um, and the whole thing was designed for the theatrical experience. It's it, in 3D, yep. new camera technology, it, new techniques. Yep, It definitely reflects the cutting edge, right? Which is part of the fun of seeing those types of movies. You know, What can we do when we are allowed to throw as much money as we want to at a thing? James Cameron has been working on this for so long that... One of the supporting actors in the film, Edie Falco, she she said, this is from Variety in like December 19th. She said that it was shot so long ago, she thought it was already released and that it flopped. Come and gone. You forget about these things. Yeah, And also like how much of a, you know, top tier performer do you have to be to be in a James Cameron movie and not know whether or not it came out? Yeah, she's on to the next thing. She's on to the next thing. Well, as they say in the great movie Heat, the action is the juice. Ah, God. When that heat's coming around the corner, I could watch Heat. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I'll do that instead of the date. Journals, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. This is the last episode of the year, Stephen. Yeah. Or the last episode. Episode. I'm still not sure how I'm saying it. Nope. But uh, this is it. Uh, 2022 wrapping up. Yep. This is our first full year uh, here at Journos. It is the first full year here at Journos. And this is our, believe it or not, 56th episode. Yeah, that's right. We are extremely thankful, among other things, mm. for the listeners who have been listening to us on this journey, this exploration through media, mm -hmm. through the news. Through our weird civilization, modern life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we thought about a number of ways to approach this last episode. One would be to review stories from the preceding year, 
and sort of weigh in on them. What were the top stories? What were the bottom stories? Yeah. It's not entirely our style, and people have talked about it. Also, too much. Too much. Too much freaking happened, man. A lot going on. A lot going on. Made more sense for us, being the stream of consciousness sorts that we are, to look way, way back. Way back. And then to look possibly way, way ahead at these inflection points, Stephen. Yep. These cultural inflection points when art and technology came together and made a change. Indeed. And Stephen, nothing speaks to great transitions from before to after, from a pre-technological age to a more technological age, like a carving of a guy holding his penis while being menaced by leopards. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. I knew that you thought that I was going to say that. Because <laughs> I'll always eventually talk about a man holding his penis while being menaced by leopards. Yep. What are we talking about here? Stephen, we're talking about a story that came out early December. It made sort of a blip in the media space. A lot of articles showed up in places like Art News and Business Insider in part because you got the impression that they really wanted to say penis in their headlines and got a little thrill out of it. And then the story went away. But what it was was that in Turkey, there was an archaeological dig, and there was a discovery of an 11,000-year-old carving of a man Mm -hmm. holding his penis. Okay. And leopards were surrounding him. Why is it significant? Because, according to these archaeologists, it's the oldest known depiction of a narrative scene. That means... It's Avatar before Avatar. You just described a scene dripping with dramatic tension. You have (laughs) the vulnerable phallus. You have the sharp-toothed animals approaching. That's visceral. Yeah. And somehow, like so much of media, Mm -hmm. then or now, guy managed to figure out a way to put his dick in it. Yep. I don't know. I'm not proud of it, Stephen. But apparently 11,000 years ago, this ancient artist was like, yeah, this makes for a good story. Yep. Notably, uh, this was found 11,000 years ago, 9th millennium BC. And this was right around the time where in that region, human beings were transitioning from a hunter-gatherer style of existence to a more sedentary lifestyle, you know, that was more based on farming and agriculture. So as folks started to settle down, you do start seeing uh, new forms of art. You start seeing more art. This is sort of the inflection point of human civilization. At the end of the Neolithic, we're starting to see a lot more complex art forms and narratives, etc. And then, of course, as we move into the Bronze Age, then it starts getting just chock full of all sorts of stories and narratives, some of which we still enjoy today. And so likely this depiction represents folk tales, some early myths, some different sorts of perhaps even cautionary tales about how one should be approaching the natural world around them. And a lot of people are probably thinking right now, like, hey, what about those cave paintings in Lascaux? And what about those other cave paintings in Sulawesi? Well, I'll tell you what, Art News would say to you that those didn't necessarily show a progressing quote, narrative structure. Right. They were just isolated images of exactly. people and animals and things. But this was telling a story yeah. that researchers believe 
reflected some kind of mythology. The carvings are set into what looks like a low bench, possibly a place that was known for uh, some kind of ceremony. On the left, there's a squatting male figure holding a rattle or a snake Mm -hmm. against a bull. This is, again, according to Art News. On the right, you have the moneymaker, guy with the penis, surrounded by leopards. Not on one side, Stephen, but on both sides. That's how you get butts in seats. In particular, these seats, which is where these things were carved into the bench, as, ah. as we said. <laughs> Thank you. It took a second. That was good. Yeah, I just love thinking about this stuff and trying to picture what it was like. Specifically, I like picturing what it was like for these folks to be holding the tools in their hands as they physically carved this stuff bit by bit. I know I'm talking a lot about my dating life with my wife today, but we went to the Getty Center Villa here in Los Angeles. It's a great spot, has tons of really cool artifacts and art. A lot of it's Bronze Age and then Roman, etc. But then they do have a little bit of this Neolithic art in there too. And, you know, you see this stuff and you're like, oh, it's like archaeology and it's history and, you know, it's early art. But it's really, really fun to meditate on the idea that it was a human who looked a lot like us doing Mm -hmm. something that you could, in fact, replicate today, right? Sure. And it would honestly feel and look very similar to the way it felt and looked, you know, 11,000 years ago. And in that way, pieces of ancient art like this really represent such an amazing through line between a period of time on Earth that is just so foreign and far away uh, to now in a way that makes it all feel sort of familiar. Yeah, absolutely. They had their myths, and we have people on Twitter having hot takes about Avatar's imperial messaging. But there is a through line there. There What's interesting here, as you point out, is this was pretty new tech at the time. Like you said, these were people who were settling into an agricultural mode of existence. Previous to that, and even way after, so much of their culture, their history, their myth was conveyed through oral storytelling— And here you have someone saying, why don't we set some of this stuff down in a more permanent way? Mm -hmm. Let's carve it in here. This is something that is important enough that we can depict externally to us just telling stories, singing songs, that kind of thing. That was this pivot point. In fact, the paper says, quote, the process of neolithization brought with it substantial changes to the cycle of daily life, subsistence strategies and technology, but perhaps most significantly to social relations culminating in a redefinition of humanity's place in the world. The development of collective activities and rituals and the construction of communal buildings with strong symbolic elements was instrumental in advancing this new way of life. And so to your point, that's what's so exciting to think about is here are people who are seeing this new thing for the first time, who are reckoning with the idea of art that represents their lives and that's telling a story. And it's cool to us because we can look back and see a familiarity to it. But for them, it was really new. Yeah. And so they didn't necessarily know where it was going to go. They didn't know it was going to lead to the development of paper and books and eventually movies and computers and all that. Like, that was not in the cards at that point. Cards weren't even in the cards at that point. No, they were not. It seems like there was just a lot of, you know, tools to harvest grain and various spiky things. 
I don't know. That's yeah, what Steve. Furious. <laughs> some things are blunt. Thing. Some things are spiky. It was all very yeah. high tech at the time. But speaking of inflection points, we would be remiss to not discuss some of these innovations that um, emerged out of a nonprofit in San Francisco called OpenAI. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't heard of them, they're the folks behind DALI or DALI 2, the AI image generator that a lot of people were playing around with earlier this year. And they are also the folks behind ChatGPT, which is the AI chatbot that is able to craft responses to extremely complex questions and prompts in such a way that it really feels like magic. And then the third thing that came out from these OpenAI freaks uh, is this thing called Point E, which is basically like ChatGPT or like DALI 2, but it can generate 3D images via just plain language prompts. So between those three things, I'm hard-pressed to find three technologies that are more emblematic of perhaps where the whole business and process of creating narratives and creating art and creating objects, literal objects in the world, are going. We're going to get into this in the coming year, so stay tuned. But now is not the time where we want to really discuss all of the intricacies of the software itself or kind of what it may portend for the fate of artists in the world, etc. Stephen, we have to talk about all that stuff. I know you don't want to because it's such a big <laughs> it's such a big leopard to <laughs> bite off, but uh, we sort of have to talk about it. And yeah. I think you're right that I was just trying to I was kicking the can down the road a little bit. I, I, the re I look, I'm not saying that I don't want to talk about it at all. I'm saying that like I just want to have realistic expectations about you what want to set expectations. I want to set expectations for our listeners. I want to set expectations for ourselves. It's the end of the year. I'm not trying to burn out. You got to get to a movie pretty soon. I'm not going to try to quiet quit this podcast. Sure. Is that a thing? Is that a term of the year? Quiet quitting? Oh, buddy. That was like a huge yeah. thing this year. Where, But it's also just it's like a thing where people just like started slacking off at work and then like people started calling it something. It has to do with away. like the, you know like Gen Z millennial work doesn't define me thing. And so you just sort mm -hmm. of sl slowly start doing a shitty job at work. Which is exactly the thing that these AIs would take over. Oh. They would just be like, well, we'll do the work for you. Yeah. That's kind of the fun thing about where this conversation is going. And I think it's safe to say that whether you're plugged into the whole AI conversation now or not, next year is definitely going to be defined by a lot of these leap forwards right now. As you said, ChatGPT came out. Everybody was slapping their foreheads about how you could ask for it to make a recipe for gazpacho, and it would make a recipe for gazpacho, and then you could have it rendered as a Shakespearean sonnet, and it would do it that way. The sky's the limit. But I think we're going to start to see it creep into all of these other fields as new technology comes online. If they're giving us this free version now, the stuff that's in the wings is going to be huge and it's going to be, you know, you don't like to use the term disruptive because it's real techie, but mm -hmm. that is what it's going to be. What is it going to mean for, you know, writing? We know that these things can crank out pretty reasonable essays on Jane Austen. I mean, they're not great, but they're serviceable and certainly enough that they could pass muster with an overworked English teacher. So... Where else is this going to go? One of the big questions we should ask now and that we'll be paying attention to in the coming year, certainly, is 
how is this going to change the nature of work? Like a lot of people say, oh, this is the new iPhone moment. Mm-hmm. This is the thing where all of civilization is going to change. And I think we're going to see that happen in a way that's sort of delicious and also sort of terrifying because it's going to affect white collar workers. Yeah. Most. It's going to affect information workers. It is going to be this iPhone moment and it already kind of is. But I also don't think that it's necessarily coming for everyone's job either. Every single time a new piece of technology has ever come out, there's always going to be this sky is falling sort of fear that because everything is different, like we need to hold on to the past in some way. So you're saying we need to protect the past as though it's our penis that's being menaced by Jaguar. Again, I I knew that's exactly what what I I knew you were going to say that. So, no, but I think there's always this fear that that's what's going to happen um and to a certain extent it all and like all things it brings good and bad right you're saying it's not going to be the sky is falling no yeah i don't think that chat gpt and ai is necessarily coming to take everyone's jobs immediately i think it's going to change the nature of work in that i think that the way that people interact with tools that do work is going to change right in the same way that like you wouldn't fault someone for having a ti-83 calculator because it can do you know, higher order calculations. If the technology is out there to do AI prompting to get like a bunch of basic copy down, maybe that just saved everybody three hours. But I still think it's going to be a long time, perhaps forever until you're not going to need some form of human intervention there. So I think we're just going to continue to evolve with this type of technology. There are already glimpses of what it might mean. For example, you have AI that can generate pretty serviceable text in all these different forms. And you have AI like Midjourney and Dali that can generate really impressive images. And that's threatening to creatives who write and it's threatening to creatives who do visual art. And we can extrapolate from that that this technology is only going to get better so that, you know, at some point not too far down the road, you could sit your kid down in front of a computer type in a prompt and say, you know, my daughter likes evil aliens, but also princesses and Taylor Swift. And she thinks her brother is funny with green hair and she likes islands. And I would like to see that as a cartoon. And in moments, you'll suddenly have a 90 minute movie with voices and animation and all this stuff that is bespoke for this kid. Like content on demand, I think, is where things are going, then that's probably not even that far down the road. In the short term, what I think we should be keeping an eye out for is what I think of as like the content apocalypse, right? Like if all of a sudden it's really easy and fast and cheap to make a bunch of content, you can imagine where that stuff's going to show up. It's going to show up in corporate blogs. Mm -hmm. It's going to show up in schools. It's going to show up in corporations where people need to generate PowerPoint presentations, all of that stuff suddenly becomes a lot easier, a lot faster. But we only have the same number of hours in a day. We only have the same amount of attention. So what's going to be the pivot there? Are we going to decide, oh, now we've got too much content? How do we get away from that? I mean, there's no reason to believe that this thing is going to stall out. And that's why I think it will be the story of the coming year or years, not only because of what it promises to change for writing or art, but, you know, the implications for the medical field, the implications for business, for investments, like having all of that information at the proverbial fingertips of this AI means you could have a chat bot that 
can diagnose what's wrong with you just based on a few simple prompts. Certainly. Like, all that stuff is is in play now. Yeah, and it's also can potentially bring a great deal of good to the world. I think that it's always so much more fun to pile on about like the sort of Terminator 2 landscape that you know that that is inevitably coming as as the result of the emergence of these technologies. That's just more fun that gets the butts and seats, but a great deal of good can be done with this. I mean, you think about under-resourced communities, organizations who suddenly now have access to this game-changing technology and it's all kind of being uh, put out there in this very open source way. Amazing. The other thing is these things write code and these things can create, you know, as you said, beautiful images and maybe eventually these beautiful sort of animated narratives. So suddenly... That also empowers a whole new generation of creators in a way, in such a way that was not possible before. Suddenly, a person who maybe, let's say, even has like a learning disability, right? But they are cognitively 100% there, but they have a reading problem. Suddenly, that person who maybe wouldn't have been able to easily access the instructions needed to learn how to do code. Suddenly, the, this type of technology brings the ability to code and create a program into that person's hands. I mean, that type of shit is unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. I wish that I could say that the internet has proven to be the economic society changing boon that, that we'd all seen. Like, there's tons of amazing creators on TikTok. I don't know that it's done anything much for the world other than creating this new class of creative, which is the influencer. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's hustling to try and get this ad money because all of this power is concentrated in the corporations. Yeah. Right? Just like it probably will be with these companies that are designing the AI. One of which, by the way, is Google. Google's going to use the most advanced technology ever known to figure out better ways to sell ads. I mean, of course they're going to. That's their whole business model. We've also already been living alongside machine learning and artificial intelligence for many, many years. I mean, it's already transformed the landscape of how business is done and how we interact with the internet and how we interact with products and technology, everything. It's already been baked in. What's happening now is suddenly it's being brought to the masses via these like plain language interfaces. And that's the yeah. thing that makes everybody finally have this aha moment, honestly, myself included. And I'm pretty well versed in tech. Now, where we were, Jaguar, penis, teeth. Where we are, machine learning, artificial intelligence, crazy sort of hellscape narratives that everybody was creating with DALI when it first came out. And also, again, keep an eye on it, this point E thing, which basically is DALI but can create 3D objects. It's only a matter of time before. Essentially, you can hook that stuff up to a 3D printer and you can literally speak objects into being. And... You know, make me a car that's the most aerodynamic car of all time. Yeah, it, it, boom. You know, and make me that beloved what that has a penis. It, yeah, that's where you're going with it. A little while back, you were talking about these oral traditions. So, in the name of keeping art alive from 11,000 years ago to 11,000 years into the future, Brandon, I've dialed up a little bit of a parlor trick for you. Mm hmm. I'm listening. I have ChatGPT open right now, and I, I copied and pasted the description of your beloved leopard penis carving, and Ooh. I put it into um, the little dialogue box, and I asked it to, quote, write a short poem that reflects the narrative described in this carving, and then I 
did that. So we're just going to see what this old workhorse can come up with. This is like alchemy. This is this is like turning lead into gold or unleashing something terrifying. Danger lurks in every scene. On ancient panels carved so keen, a squatting figure holds a rattle against a charging bull that prattles. A man in high relief stand tall, grasping his phallus as leopards crawl. Towards him from every side, teeth bared, ready to collide. But this human figure with round face and large ears, bulging eyes and triangular neckband, he perseveres. He faces down the danger and the fear, a testament to the human spirit. Oh, so dear. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a feeling that we should all get familiar with, is the sense of kind of awe and wonder, like a magic trick that's been carried off. Yeah. And also like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's like- I, I mean, it's amazing. It's both- Totally amazing and perfectly fine. Perfectly C C minus poem. You know, yeah. like like it it it's, But that's just the beginning. That's the beginning. That's just early days. And that spit that back early out days. in real time, right? So yeah. it's no ode to a Grecian urn. No. No. It's ode to a phallus and a leopard. What are you gonna do? <sighs> I think the question that's being asked by our Paleolithic forebears is what exactly is that leopard that comes at us? What does it represent? Mm. That's what we should be thinking about as we head into this new year, Stephen. Maybe they thought it was the new spiky tool. They thought, yeah, maybe they thought it was the sickle. It was those hunters who were like, shit, I'm out of a job. I got to go diddle myself. <laughs> got to diddle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like a David Lynch movie, there's a lot of ways to read that story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it suggests that there are things that are approaching from out of the darkness that we need to pay attention to. Yep. Maybe they will serve us well, and maybe they will do us harm. Mm -hmm. But if we're spending too much time playing with ourselves, uh, we might miss the risks and the possible opportunities. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you, Stephen. This has been Journos. The year 2022 is soon to be in the rear view. Uh, we thank you all for listening to us this year. Yep. And uh, as always, if you have story ideas for next year or questions or anything, please, Stephen, tell them, please email us, journos at journos.net. Please email us at journos at journos.net. You've been asked twice. Don't make us ask a third time. Send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next year yep. with more stories. Uh, starting off with a very exciting crossover episode that we won't tell you about now, but that will be dropping very soon. So, for Journos, I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. We'll see you next year. Uh, it was so nice. It was very good. Um, I quite like that. And I can tell, or I hope, that you didn't just have ChatGPT open right now and you're just cribbing notes from your AI helper. For now, it comes tumbling out of my own wet head. Yep, you still got that meat puppet energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very strong meat puppet energy. That's what I think I'm going to carry into 2023. Yeah, there you go. I'm flesh for now. <laughs> <laughs>